0: All right. Amen. Thank you, band. Uh, for those of you who have ever wondered about the power of one, uh, one string, am I right, Jed? And the whole thing just kind of falls apart. And it doesn't fall apart. But the guitar works better with all with all six strings. So... Uh, That was pretty impressive, actually. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Welcome again. My name is Amanda. I'm the discipleship director here at Hope Des Moines. And I'm just so glad you're here this morning on this. uh, Is it still raining? I don't know. Rainy Sunday morning. That takes like determination to say, yes, I'm going to go out in the rain. I'm going to go to church. So thank you for being your being here this morning. I suspect that maybe some of you thought that John would be here today. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But if you were, I am sorry that I am not John. Uh, but he... Uh, was back to work a little bit this week, um, but then unfortunately his grandfather passed away, and so he was traveling this Sunday for his grandfather's funeral, and so I know you'll join me in praying for his safe travels this week, and he cannot wait uh, to be back here this weekend. So or next next weekend he will be back, and he is very excited about that. So anyway, so we're here this morning, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to kick off a new sermon series today, and the title of our new ser- sermon series is "There's an App for That." Now. I want to acknowledge that in sermon series titles, like that has to be one of the top 10 most cheesy sermon titles ever written, sermon series titles ever written. But what we hope is that it will kind of stick in your head, right, that there's an app for that. And the idea as we continue on these next few weeks is that there's actually really good, practical, useful, timely Information here in the Bible. And so as we explore these next few weeks, we're going to be digging into some of that. And I know that. You know, we come together for service on the weekends and sometimes it gets to be about 12.47 on Sunday afternoon and then all these really awesome feelings that we have when we were at service, like something happens and then we don't feel quite as awesome anymore. And the point is that it's not meant to be a a Sunday morning experience, that we can experience the love that God has for us any time of any day. It's right here in His Word. And so those are the things that we're going to be digging into today. To do that, we're going to start in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians in the New Testament. I love the book of Ephesians. It's probably, I don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite book of the Bible, but if you can do that and there's not anything wrong with that, then Ephesians is my favorite book. And part of the reason for that is I think if you were to give it a subtitle, like the main title would be Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the subtitle would be Following Jesus for Dummies. Like it really takes the gospel and who Jesus was and what Jesus meant to the world and all of those things. And it takes them and it kind of condenses them down into these six chapters. I really encourage you to read the book of Ephesians this week. The chapters are relatively short, so you could read one a day, or, or you could really be an overachiever and you could read a couple every day and get through the book of Ephesians a couple of times this week. It will... Strengthen or it will change, it will do something with the way you view God. It will do something good with the way you view Jesus Christ because Paul takes it and he condenses it down and it's all good stuff. And so, with that, let's go ahead and take out our Bibles or get out your phone or whatever. Go, uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you do that, I want you to try to do something that's really difficult to do, but I try, humor me, to take out everything that you think that you know about being a Christian, just get it out of your brain. Try to just dump it out. So any like ridiculously crazy weird thing that someone ever said, a Christian ever said to you that was not helpful, get rid of it. Any kind of loud mouth on the TV who talked about what Christianity is or isn't and then proceeded to say terrible things, just get it out of your head, okay? So try to clear your mind of what it is that you think you know about God, about Jesus, about people who follow Jesus. <clears throat> try to approach Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 8 without, without a filter, okay? Verse 3, all praise to God, about following Jesus, about who God is, you would know that just from these verses, you would know that God is a God of great mercy and compassion, that he desires that we be fully a part of his family, and you would know that this Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that came for us, and is the reason why we can be a part of God's family. We would know that even before God created the world, he had us on his mind. And that even as he knit the world together, he was thinking of us and desiring to bring us fully into his family. That's not a bad gig, right? That's something that most of us, I think, we can say, yeah, I can get behind that and Paul goes on in this letter to the Ephesians talking about the grace and the love and the mercy and our adoption into his God's family and how God desired that for all of us. He goes on in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 and he says that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by anything you've done so that none of us can boast about it. It's because God loved you and chose you and wanted to give you this perfect gift. The very next verse, Ephesians 2.10, he says, you are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus. You are God's masterpiece. Think about that for a second. You know you. You are God's masterpiece. So I'm going to ask us just for a second, sit up straight, own it. Say, I am God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. Go ahead. I am God's masterpiece. Turn to the person next to you. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece out of all of the things that God has done. God desired to bring you into the family. And God's masterpiece achievement is having sent Jesus into the world so that we could be fully adopted, integrated children of God's family. That's amazing news. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, Paul goes on. Let's read these words together. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May you experience Christ's love. It is so perfect, that is so sacrificial in your favor. May you experience the height and depth of Christ's love, though you will never understand it fully. And Paul is saying in his book of Ephesians, this is what happened. Maybe you've heard this legend. Maybe you've heard uh, Ephesians in the city of Ephesus. Maybe you've heard about this band. It was kind of a a couple of tribes, maybe. Maybe you've heard of them, And, and what made them different was that instead of worshiping a lot of different gods, they worshiped one god, and they called him Yahweh. And even though these tribes weren't the most powerful tribes, they continued to follow this one god, and they continued to try and obey his commands. And maybe you've heard about how the nations around them kind of kicked him around and beat him up a little bit, and how things were pretty tough actually for this band of tribes of God's people. But maybe you've heard about how, in the midst of this of this tribe, this band of people that that God had promised that He was going to send one into from that line of people that was going to save not just that little band of tribes, but but actually save the whole world. That the world the earth spinning in orbit would actually never be the same when God sent his Messiah into the world to take on the sins of the whole world. Why? So that that you, so that we, so that all of us could be children of God. And Paul is saying this event changed everything. This love that God demonstrated, this love that Jesus poured out on the cross, this changed everything. And the world would never Be the same. So may you experience that love. How high and how deep and how wide and how long. May you experience that love. Though it's too great for you to ever actually understand. Paul was setting out a new understanding of how the world could work. That there was a demonstration of perfect love that the world had never seen before. And because of that... The world could and would be different. Um, It's summer. As you know, it certainly feels like summer out there. And uh, I'm on a break from my classes, and so I really enjoy reading. And since I don't have people telling me what to read, I get to read whatever I want. And I really like to read uh, nonfiction because I really like uh, hearing reading about people and stories and events and the things that happen because I feel like uh, as human authors, if, if we're writing a story, we would actually never write it the way it turns out in real life, and I think that's not all that confusing when you consider who the author of real life actually is, and so I like to read about different things that have, that have happened in history or, or different people and that kind of thing. So one of the books that I'm reading right now is called How We Got to Now by Steven Johnson, and in this book, How We Got to Now, um, he takes six, I wouldn't call them inventions, I'd call them more like ideas or concepts. Or things. And he talks about how they have shaped how we got to now. And so I open, I thought, well, this sounds interesting. So I get this book and I open up chapter one. And the first chapter, then, the title is Glass. And I'm like, well, that's honestly a little disappointing. Like, (laughs) that's kind of common, but okay. I mean, I'm here, I'll keep reading. And so it turns out glass is more interesting than you think. Uh, scientists say that 26 million years ago, something happened over the Saharan Desert and caused these molecules of silicone, which are present in sand, and oxygen, and there was a lot of heat, and it made this layer of glass like over the desert. It was too much for just a single bolt of lightning, so there's a lot of speculation on how that might have happened, but it made a layer of natural glass in the sand. Well, let's fast-forward a little bit, and it turns out that the same material that went into making that layer of glass in the sand some millions of years ago, molecularly, silicon, oxygen, and heat are the same things that make up fiber optic cables that make the internet work. So you've got glass 26 million years ago, and then just a little blink of an eye, and you get the internet, right? Isn't that amazing? There's a few things in the middle there, obviously, <laughs> but one of the things that he talks about is how we got to now. So some of these things that were necessary along the way, one of the ideas that he talks about is the idea of the adjacent possible. So circumstances and situations that have come together to take glass out of the desert and make your computer work. And one of the things that he talks about is that, you know, there was glass around during the time of the Roman Empire. People had figured out how to heat up silicon and oxygen and make glass. But it wasn't really until the world was coming out of the Dark Ages and heading into the Enlightenment then that another thing happened, lots of things happened, but another thing happened that really brought glass to the forefront again, and that was the invention of the printing press. And so, as many of you know, how many of you found out that your eyes didn't work when you were trying to read words on a page, right? And so that happened then, too. People realized, oh, there's all this stuff I want to read, but I can't see any of it. And so people had known before then that you could make uh, lenses, you could change the shape of the glass and you could make then the words look bigger or smaller, whatever you needed to do. And so because of that, the technology of lenses started to really develop. And then because of that, telescopes, microscopes, all of these other things really started to develop. And so Stephen Johnson talks about this idea of the adjacent possible. The circumstances, the people the situations that then led to the possible that was next, and then the possible that was next after that. And that's how you go from 20 million years ago in glass in the Sahara to the World Wide Web, a series of the adjacent possible and the factors that came together to make that happen. That's not a a new concept. Like, instinctively, we know that, but it's a way to put words to it and a way to think about it a little bit differently In Ephesians, Paul spends chapters one through three laying out what has happened up until this point and how there's a new adjacent possible because this pure definition of sacrificial love that the world had never seen before now has come into the world and a new way of living is now possible that wasn't possible before Jesus' perfect example of it. And if you think about the folks in Ephesus, this is an idea that is completely new to them because they're living under the uh, Greek little g-gods right? They are chasing around all these little g-gods who have absolutely no interest whatsoever in putting the needs of human beings above them. These little g-gods are all worried about what human beings can do for them. And this is the model that the Ephesians have. In fact, in the city of Ephesus, there was a temple to the Greek goddess of war, and her name was Artemis. And so the Ephesians were really into worshiping this goddess Uh, Artemis. And you can read in Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 20, how when Paul was actually in the city of Ephesus, and he was talking about Jesus, and he was talking about putting away these little gods, and he was talking about this one true God, Yahweh. Maybe you've heard of him, and then that he sent his son, the Messiah, into the world. The artisans realized this was going to cut into their profits, so they were not exactly happy with Paul and his buddies that were teaching people about this. So this way of thinking of God of being a sacrificial God, this is a whole new way of thinking, and this unleashes a whole new set of possibilities and a whole new way of relating to each other. Because if God could put himself on a cross and sacrifice for us, then what does that mean that we are able to do for others? <clears throat> and so it's with that kind of setup that Paul then opens chapter 4. In Ephesians. And chapter 4, I think, is really kind of the high point of what Paul is up to here in Ephesians. He kind of lays it all out. Because of what Christ has done for you, here's a new possible and here's what it looks like. And I think Paul spends chapters 5 and 6 kind of laying out a few of the particulars of that. But in chapter 4, Paul opens by saying, because of everything I've told you, because of what Christ has done for you, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. Paul says, I beg you to consider that the way you've been living is not actually lining up with the way Christ wants you to live, and I beg you to consider that there's a new possible. That things that you couldn't have imagined before, you can imagine now. You can model your life after Jesus and not just a here and there random act of kindness. But you can wake up every day and think, okay, how can I use whatever authority or power or influence I might have to serve someone else? Paul gives very practical advice in chapter 4. And he says, listen, all of you have been given gifts. Every single one of you has been given a gift. And you are called to use that gift for the betterment of the church. You're called to use it for the betterment of people around you. Paul says, continues in chapter 4, listen, I know everyone around you is doing it, but if you're lying to get ahead, stop it. And Paul says, if you are stealing, stop it. He says, I get that everyone around you is doing it. Paul says, I know everyone's doing it. I know if they were jumping off a bridge, you'd jump off a bridge too. I know it. I know that everyone is doing it. But Christ has created a new possible. There is a new order to things where you can say, you know what? I actually would like to line my life up with what Christ has called me to because Christ has called me to a new possible. Not so I can boast, but so that I am an adopted child of God and everyone who who meets me, will know it by the way that I love them. It's a new possible. How do we know that this is what Paul is telling the folks in Ephesus that he wants them to do? We know this because he's framing everything in terms of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had the power to do whatever he wanted, but Jesus Christ used that power to stay on a cross, sacrificing himself for us. And so if you're with me so far, here at our little tour through the book of Ephesians, then this is where we get to the scripture passage that we heard read today. And Paul says then in 521 through 64, he says, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your wife as you love your own body. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Paul is setting out a new possibility. However, when Paul says these words, the only people who hear something in those words that they don't already know are the men. Because the women who hear those words know that they are supposed to submit to their husbands. Remember, this isn't even Jewish culture. This is Greek-Roman culture. It's quite a bit more harsh than Jewish culture. And so the women and the children know very well that husbands and dads are the ones who decide everything, that they are the property of their husbands or their fathers. And the women who are hearing that know that their husband can treat them in any way that he chooses. He can uh, beat them and no one will bat their eyes. He can beat them to the point of death and someone would say, hey, Fred, you know, I haven't seen Mary lately. And he'd say, well, she was getting a little lippy. And that'd be the end of it. They wouldn't talk about it anymore. That would be where it would stop. And the women knew that. This was not news to them. <clears throat> they knew that they could be kicked out of their home. They could be divorced for any reason. They could be kicked out and not given a divorce, and so the only way they're able to support themselves is through prostitution or adultery because it was up to their husband. They knew that they could give birth to a baby, and then their husband could decide if that baby was kept in the home or if that baby was put outside the city because the husband didn't want a baby around, another mouth to feed. The women and the children in that culture knew exactly what the social order of things was. Paul calls out and he says, men, when you got married, when you got married, it's a mystery. We don't understand, but you were joined to your wife and you left your father and mother and you became one flesh. Paul says no one can say that they love themselves and hate their own body. You cannot say that you can do whatever you want to do with your wife because you have the right to say that. Because that's outside of what Christ wants for you because Christ says that we are one. You cannot discard her because she is one with you. You can't discard her any more than you could discard yourself. And Christ calls you to lift your wife up in holiness, not as an object that you can do whatever you want with, but to present her to Christ as holy and as loved, just the way Christ presents the church as holy because of his love. Sacrifice. If you continue reading um, in Ephesians chapter six, he talks about the relationships between slaves and masters, and I just want to touch on this real quick because of uh, the the things that are happening in our nation lately. And we know that this anger and uh, fear and frustration stems back to a very dark time in our nation, and. So first of all, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, Paul tells uh, slaves in that context to obey their masters. And unfortunately, people have taken that so far out of context to mean something that Paul never meant for it to mean, he never meant for it. To say that slavery is great, you should keep doing it. That's not it at all. Just like Paul could not Im- imagine a world with the internet, Paul couldn't imagine a world where women were literally considered to be just not intelligent enough to make decisions about their household. They obviously were not smart enough to be trusted to know what was best for them. And he couldn't imagine a world where Slavery was not part of the economy. It wasn't driven by race. It wasn't driven by hatred. It wasn't driven by fear or anything else. It was driven by just the way that the economy worked and Paul couldn't imagine the adjacent possible had not come to the point yet where Paul could imagine a world without slavery so Paul goes on he says the truth of the matter is it doesn't even it doesn't even matter what you what you think because Jesus says that we are one Jesus says that we are one united in his body united in his family so Paul says you've got to those, those hierarchies, they really don't even matter because you are one with Jesus. That's the new possibility that Jesus has called you to. In fact, in the book of Philemon, uh, that's a letter that Paul wrote to his friend Philemon, and it was written around the same time as the book of Ephesians. Paul was in prison while he was writing these books, uh, Ephesians and Philemon and, and others as well. And so he writes to his friend Philemon um, because Philemon had a slave and the slave was named Onesimus. And Onesimus had run away from Philemon and he had run to Paul. He probably suspected that he had an ally in Paul and so he went to him. And so Paul talked with Onesimus and met with him and he's not super um, explicit in the letter about how that went, but he ultimately convinces Onesimus that what he did was wrong, that he needs to go back to Philemon But he writes a letter to Philemon in the meantime that is in our New Testament. And he says, listen, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I'm telling you he's sorry. I'm telling you that he is contrite for what he's done. And Paul says, I get it that I can't really tell you what to do. But I would encourage you to welcome Onesimus back as a co-worker. As a fellow brother in Christ, give him his freedom because you are one with him under Christ. And so Paul says, bring him back, forgive him, and realize that he is an equal of yours. Even though Paul couldn't imagine a world without those things, Paul could imagine, because of what Jesus had done, a new possible where we are one and united under Christ. And so in this part of his letter, in Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 4, he's saying, men, you have the right to do whatever you want, but I'd like to remind you that Christ was God. And he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says Christ was God in chapter, excuse me, in verses 6 and on. He starts in Ephesians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and he says, don't be be." Don't be selfish, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And he goes on in verse 6, and he says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. For though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but instead he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave, dying a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus could have done whatever Jesus wanted to do, but Jesus used his power to be the chief servant of all, dying a criminal's death on the cross on a cross. He used his power to go to the cross. And I know that Paul had hung around probably with Peter and the uh, disciples after he had his conversion experience and then he had some time before he went out and started planning churches and he'd hung around with, with uh, the disciples and the uh, 11 that had spent time with Jesus and uh, he probably learned about how Jesus had said, you know, in this world people who have authority and power lord it over others. But Jesus said that's not how it's going to be with you. And he understood then that in God's economy, what, Je- what Jesus spoke of then was that the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. Jesus teaches about this in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the peacemakers, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He said, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. When Jesus came to earth, he was not on a power trip. <laughs> and he calls all of us to give up our tendency toward exalting ourselves and give it up to be the chief servant. And here's the thing, before Jesus' death and resurrection, that model, that concept, that absolutely simply was not Possible. It was only because Jesus came into the world and literally, literally changed the universe. If you could imagine a shift in the before and after of Jesus' death and resurrection, it's there because this perfect model of sacrifice, this perfect model of love had now been poured out for all of us and what we are now, what's possible for us and possible in our relationships and possible in the ways that we relate to each other has completely been changed because of what Jesus has done for us this is the love how deep and how wide and how long and how high the love that jesus poured out for us that now we can have for one another because of what jesus has done Uh, you heard me talk about it earlier here in a few weeks we have a little thing coming up called vacation bible school i love vbs it'll be like my 27th year doing vbs that's not exactly true (laughs) Um, but it's my favorite. It's the highlight of my entire summer. We have about 40 kids who are registered here that are part of Hope Des Moines, and that is so awesome, and we can't wait. And then we know that what's gonna happen is that we're gonna have another 60, 70 kids from the neighborhoods and from Freedom for Youth, and they're gonna see this bus pull up that says Lutheran Church of Hope or this bus pull up that says Freedom for Youth, and they're gonna be like, I am getting on that bus. Try and stop me, right? So we're gonna have all these kids come down, and they're going to learn about Jesus' love for them. They're gonna learn that there's nothing that they can do to celebrate separate themselves from the love that Jesus has for them. And I can't wait. It's going to be so awesome because God's going to move and it's going to be powerful and it's going to change lives. In order to do this, what would be awesome is if we'd have around 22 or so adult shepherds and then we fill in with junior high kids and high school kids and whatever. That'd be awesome if we could get about 22 or 23 adults to help with that. So right now, we have 12 Which is a good start. God's going to provide. I'm not wringing my hands over that. But what I want to tell you is as of Thursday, of those 12 shepherds that we have, two of them are men. And as we look at our volunteer pool across the board, less than 10% of our volunteers for VBS are men. Now, God is going to show up, God is going to move. Lives are going to be changed. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it for one thing, um, for our men here in the community, because I know there are more of you than that that are ready. So I'm praying about that. I'm also praying about the kids that are going to come. Again, God's going to move. God moves despite us all the time and praise God for it but I'm thinking about these kids who are going to come and I'm thinking about as they look around what I don't want to happen is I don't want a couple of those kids to look around and draw the conclusion somewhere in their mind that men don't go to church because they don't come here on the weekend they don't see you all here I am thinking about those little boys and those little girls, and I'm thinking about the same things that I want for my own children. And I want my son to know that men love Jesus. And I want my son to know that men sacrifice for their families. They sacrifice for their wives. They sacrifice because they can. I want my son to know that in the same way that I want my girls to know, and I want these little girls who are going to come here for Vacation Bible School, I want them to know that men love Jesus. I don't want them paying attention to the first boy who pays a little bit attention to them even though he doesn't know Jesus. I want them to know that there's a guy coming along who's so much better because that guy knows Jesus. That's what I want for these kids that are going to come here to VBS. Look, God's going to move, God is going to do amazing things because God always does. and that's kind of the point. God knows full well that he'd be a lot, it'd be a lot easier if he just did it himself. But God invites us and God calls us in to be a part of what he's doing. He invites us to be a part of this new possible. He did not create this new possibility in our relationship so that he could just sit back and say, well, I hope they do it. No, God invites us because he knows what's best for us and he knows what the best possibility is for us. God's going to do it. And really it's a question of whether or not we're going to be a part of it or not. Ladies, a word of caution. When you get in the car today, if you came with a man, with okay, let's not get out the app and start signing our husbands up to volunteer. Let's not do that. Now, if you did it before this sermon, it's fine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the message has been given. The rest of it is up to the Holy Spirit. In this letter to the Ephesians, uh, Paul is writing that there is a new thing possible. That because of what Jesus Christ has done, our relationships can be new. And so when he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Get rid of your harsh words, your rage, your anger, and get rid of all of that evil behavior. So I wonder what would happen if we did that. I wonder what would happen if we realize that it's the anger and the evil behavior and the harsh words and the jealousy and the hurt, that all of that just keeps us in one place and it keeps us stuck and it keeps us small and it keeps us from being who God created us to be. Nobody ever became the person that Jesus has called them to be by staying stuck. Never, ever, ever. And sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes it hurts, but in order to become the person that Jesus created us to be, we have to let go of all that other stuff so that we can hang on to Jesus. God meets us right where we are and Jesus knows that we're stuck, but Jesus says, I did a new thing so that you don't have to stay stuck, that you can let go of all those other things. You can grab onto kindness and being tenderhearted and forgiving one another because that's the new possible. Possible. That just because you have the right to treat someone poorly in Jesus' economy, that's that's not okay. That's outside of what Jesus has called you to do. There's grace, but that is outside of what Jesus has called each of us to. And the thing is this, if Christ could submit himself to death on a cross, then surely we can, out of reverence for Christ, submit ourselves to one another. Surely we can submit ourselves to our communities to our places of work, to our neighborhoods, surely we can submit ourselves to some kids to show them how much Jesus loves them. Earlier today, we sang the song, Once and for All. And when we sing these words, we say, we believe our God is Jesus. We believe our God is Jesus. We believe that he is Lord. We believe that he has saved us. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord who has saved you? Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord who has saved you? Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord who has saved you? I'm waiting for you to answer. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord who has saved you? But Yes, because when you believe that Jesus is the Lord who has saved you, there's no point in staying stuck. Staying stuck is not even an option. When light from light, God from God has come down to earth and created a new possible for us, then as far as I'm concerned, the only thing that's impossible is staying stuck in this small place that's what becomes something we can't do anymore when we believe that God has saved us, that Jesus is Lord, God from God and light from light came here for us so that we could have a new possible. Amen. 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 Let's stand and we're gonna sing a little bit more of this song and we'll go home.